Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 67, we'll discuss the latest film from Antonio Campos, an ensemble driven thriller led by a cavalcade of actors from the superhero cinematic universe, The Devil All the Time. That will be followed up with a round of five good questions as I ask Noah about his experience with the Janelle Monet starring vehicle produced by Jordan Peele, Antebellum. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which we went back to the old throwback format of challenging one another. So Andy gave me Carrie Fukunaga's feature debut from 2009, Sin Nombre, and I gave him the newest film from Pedro Almodovar, Pain and Glory, starring Antonio Banderas. So, Andy, without a pick six this week, our show should fit in nicely under an hour, right? It should. No guarantees. Mm. No guarantees. Let's find out. Our lead film this week is a Netflix original and the newest from director Antonio Campos. Based on a successful novel, it stars a long list of notable names and spans decades to tell its tale of family, faith, loss, and revenge. Let's both discuss The Devil All the Time. The Devil All The Time The Devil All the Time yeah. Constantly. Um, the devil just constantly. There's so much devil everywhere and at all times in this movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And after seeing it, I got to say, yeah, I guess they're, they're right. Yeah. There's, the devil's everywhere. Here. So it's a film about how everyone is possessed. Yes. This is yes, a straight but... up ex- <laughs> exorcist style horror movie. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. it's a remake of the exorcism of Je- Emily Rhodes. <laughs> but way longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is one notable thing about the film. It is long. It's long. Um, however, we can get into whether that's noticeable or not as we talk about the movie, mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. It, it's like I mentioned, it, it spans decades and it tells multiple different stories at once and even out of time sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned, lots and lots of actors. Tons of people in this movie, probably more than than the movie can contain. Yeah, uh, lots of big notable names, and even if the names aren't notable to everyone, the faces, faces will be certainly. You know, um, yeah, because you know, we don't really know Tom Holland as anything but Spider Man yet. Yeah. His face is notable, though. We you know him when you see him. Oh yeah, there's names you recognize, like Robert Pattinson, of course. Riley Keough. Maybe, maybe Riley Keough at this point. But then there's yeah. also, I mean, if you're just this, you know, not a movie like crazy person, you wouldn't really know who necessarily know who someone like Eliza Scanlon is. Yeah. Or Mia Wasikawa or, or Haley Bennett, or, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know their faces most likely. Sure. Especially sure. Jason Clark, who is in this movie as a Jason Clark character. So. I mean, we can begin anywhere we want. That's I as don't good know as, where you begin. You, you begin with the beginning, I guess, with Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, um, which is another one that like is a face There's people recognize. Face. That's <laughs> one of the bigger ones. Other than Spider-Man and Robert Pattinson, that's the biggest face. I think his maybe, you could argue, is the most notable face you can recognize. Because Pennywise in the It revamp over the last few years has been a huge 
worldwide sensation and his face is a front and center of that mm-hmm. and even without makeup on you still see that character in his face yeah and that makes him so menacing which is funny because like for the time that he's on screen the first half he is not menacing not for the most part yeah yeah he he he's actually a very intriguing actor i think um i haven't seen him in much outside of being under all that makeup mm-hmm but I mean, he's immediately kind of, um, you know, kind of engrossing and uh, just from his facial expressions, he does something that kind of draws you in. Yeah. Especially his, his eyes too. Uh, honestly, he's one of the better performances in this thing. He plays Tom Holland's dad and I, and I find Bill Sarsgaard to be pretty engaging in most of the things I've seen him in, which isn't a lot, but mm-hmm. I really like him. Um, I guess, like, how do we even t- explain what this is about? I mean, it, it, it's not too too hard to explain. I mean, there's a bunch of characters, but it's really essentially about a bunch of lives intersecting over the course of 20-some years. In, in, from the World War, from the end of World War II, basically, where Bill Skarsgård's character is kind of seeing, he's, he's a soldier who's kind of bouncing around and, and kind of, existing at the end of the world war two and he we first see him where he kind of comes back home and he's going to meet you know coming back home to, to spend time with his parents for a while but before that he kind of meets a woman who is essentially giving himself over to it whether i mean she knows or not he's in falling in love with this woman at first sight played by Haley bennett and that spawns many, many different relationships and many, many different characters intersecting throughout all of this. And it, it, it's a bit much. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind (laughs) of like dominoes all falling into place because he makes one decision that then leads somebody else to have to pick somebody else. And later on down the line, you know, um, you know, it is this, it's kind of like a, like a hillbilly Gothic, uh, crime story there but. is a yeah there's a crime story in here there is an indictment on the stranglehold of, of religion in here and where that takes you mentally and you know psychologically for the worse mostly there's a lot of different movies in one here <laughs> um and the movie does it it does try to balance it all i guess campos tries the best he can and he does give a lot of screen time to most of the people. In the sure. Movie. Not, not everyone, but that's, that'd be impossible, I think. Yeah. But um, there are certain characters who come and just kind of vanish. You know, they're introduced and you're like, oh, that's going to be a really important character. And then you're like, holy shit. You don't really know what's going to happen from one scene to the next in this movie. Not, and that's not really a compliment, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Usually that's, you know, that is a compliment. It's like, oh, it keeps you on your feet. On your mm-hmm. toes. And you it know. does in a strange way, but not an appealing way. It's, I will say I was never <clears throat> bored with this movie. I'll say that. Yeah. It's two hours and 18 minutes and I wasn't ever really thinking, ah, it's, this is dragging. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that is because it's really well shot. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it's really well acted or at least, part. you know, everybody does the very best with, with what they are given to do, mm-hmm. whether that be script or screen time. Um, there's so many different characters it's tough to talk about but but clearly tom holland is the main character 
even though he doesn't really show up until half an hour into the film. Yeah, because the first half an hour is dedicated to Skarsgård's kind of... We're, we're getting to know Holland's family before he becomes even into an existence. Mm-hmm. And yes, Holland is the main character, and through tragedy, we get to kind of see where his life is leading into his late teens, early 20 years, 20s years. Um, I think Tom Holland handles himself well in this movie. So do I. I. I know there are many people out there that that are knocking this performance. I think it's good. I think there's a lot to like. It's not incredible, but no, he's, no, no. he's very solid. He handles himself well in this movie. Yeah, and, and, you know, he's got to do a lot of tough guy stuff. He does. And a lot of that is, you know, trying to sell that. And I bought it for the most part. I did too. And I think the reason that I bought so much of it is because of the the character development that he goes through and you kind of, you see why he's become so grizzled, mm-hmm. um, whether it's because of the things that his father passed down to him, which is a big theme in the film. And then um, some of the ways that he feels very protective, whether it be of his, his family, the people that are raising him, his grandmother or, um, or his they, they call her his stepsister, but really they're of no relation. There's a lot of orphans in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, who have, they, they, as far as they're concerned, they're, they're related, but no one's, there's not a lot of relation going on. Yeah. So basically there's, there's this half of the story that is him and his sister, for lack of a better word, played by Eliza Scanlon and their family's interaction with this new preacher that comes to town played by Robert Pattinson. We'll get to him in a minute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the other half of the story is Sebastian Stan plays the sheriff, the sheriff who found um, young Tom Holland's character when a family tragedy uh, occurs. And this sheriff's sister and husband are serial killers, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And so these these two diverging storylines um, kind of are locked together. Locked might not be the best term because it's pretty, that lock's pretty flimsy. And that's one of the more frustrating aspects of the film. I, I agree. Um, and it's, like you mentioned, like none of it's ever really boring, but it is, it can be a little frustrating to watch. It's not confusing either. It's just a little frustrating the way that it's framed. Um, I know that you're not a big Jason Clark fan. No, I'm not. But I typically am. And yet again, I think I think he's actually good in this. And I can understand why people don't. But I, I think he's he's doing this thing where he is so grimy and despicable and gross and disgusting. And you get the sense that this character thinks that he's really charming, even though he's not really and, I, and I, those are all the things that you want out of Jason Clark. That's why you cast a guy like that in this role. And I thought he, I thought he did it pretty well. Listen, I, I get it, but I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of him playing this role. I wish it was anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's, it's, it's that whole thing where, oh no, Jason Clark, something bad's going to happen. He's going to be a bad guy, mm-hmm. real bad guy actually. And let, let me just separate that from the actual role and the way it's written. I actually think that the role's interesting. Oh yeah. Um, and he's actually not stupid. He's 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 smart and attuned to what's going on at all times. But yeah, he has that problem with thinking he's a little too charming uh, than he is. Um, 
you can't even wash a shirt, you know? <laughs> and, and, and that whole, like, that storyline in the film doesn't have a whole lot of legs. No, it doesn't. And it's, it's unfortunate for Riley Keough because she's great. And she's she great in this. Doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah. So, and I, I'm not a big Sebastian Stan fan either. Neither but am I. he's fine in it. He's... He's got a scene or two. He's got a scene. I get that. He's got a scene or two that I thought was really interesting, especially his like second to last scene where he's in that house. Well, he has arguably the most through line character of the whole movie. He experiences a lot of things with a lot of the characters in this movie. I just wish the the role could have been played a little better. The female characters, mm. we and we gripe about this often, but the female characters aren't really, they're not fleshed out well enough so that, that there's a ceiling to how great the performances can be. Which of the female characters do you think, um, which of the, the actors do you think gave the best performance? First of all, Haley Bennett and Mia Wazakowska don't get enough time to do anything, so I can't even begin to talk about their performances. Yeah. I do like Scanlon quite a bit, but I think it is Riley Keough because she gets a little more to chew on, mm-hmm. even though she doesn't get enough. I think she's very effective. She's, she's your girl for sure. And um, she's going to be one of the best. I, I am a big fan of Eliza Scanlon's performance in this. It's, it's very subdued. It's rather muted. It's a difficult role too. It is a very difficult role. And even she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but, but the scenes that she's in are very important to the narrative. And this all leads us to <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Yeah. People are, are torn on this performance. Right. I think this performance, while not nearly one of his best, puts another notch on the belt of entirely different performances already from this guy. And I think it's very good i think he's very good in this movie i think he's terrific in it he's he's electric you can't take your eyes off of him it's Mm -hmm. it's incredible um and i don't i don't think that his performance is incredible i just think that that what he's capable of doing is is something that is really really rare where you are locked in and you can't take your eyes off of that him. first scene where he's, you know, sampling the cuisine is amazing. I mean, it's a great introduction. It's because of him, not necessarily anything that was written. It's because of what he brings to the role. I think he's good at the accent. I, I think do too. He's, he is charming when he needs to be and absolutely evil when he needs to be. And I bought all of it. I, I, I am not in the camp that is poo pooing this. No, performance. no. He's very good in this. Uh, yeah, but where do you land on the film as a whole? Listen, this is usually my type of drama thriller area of the country that I'm really uh, kind of drawn to. But I just can't, couldn't help but think, my God, what could have, what could Ray McKinnon do with this story? Oh my goodness! You yeah. know, uh, if Ray McKinnon were to direct this, he would tamper down the extreme violence mm-hmm. a little bit because I think this movie is gratuitous. It is. We didn't discuss that. Yeah. We could talk about that for five minutes because it, the movie gets a little too obsessed with showing gruesome brutality in almost uh entertaining way. It yeah, wants you to be entertained by the violence. It really just needs to pick its spots. I, I don't mind some, sure. of, some of the really violent scenes. Sure. They're the ones that I feel are necessary, but sometimes 
there are moments of it where it's just like, well, why though? Mm-hmm. Why, why? You yeah. know? And we don't need to get into specifics. It just goes a little too far. Mm-hmm. So I think that it was just handled ever so different I mean, in a way that I didn't really gravitate towards and it wasn't immersed in the thing entirely. I didn't hate the movie, but I still have to weigh the pros and cons on my end and, and I'm at a two and a half on it. I can't really? go any higher than that. I'm at a three and a half on it because I still think the, across the board, the performances are pretty damn good. Some much better than others. And I think it's, it's well photographed. It looks really nice. Um, it's narrated by the guy who actually wrote the book. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that's interesting that he did it. So that shows you that he's very pleased with his, the adaptation of his mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I found it a little bit distracting at times. At yeah, times. I, I didn't love it, but ultimately I definitely liked it. And I liked it quite a bit because it's very entertaining and it's, it's very competently made. I just think that this, one of the things that I liked so much about Campos's Christine is how small of a cast it was. And it was a very insular film that was telling a, a very personal story and it was, it was all just tightly packed. And this, there's just so, he's almost like wrangling cats. There's just so many things he's got to keep his hands on that some of them just inevitably fall through his fingers. And, um, and that's what makes it kind of a mess. Um, it's a beautiful mess and it's a, and it's at times a brilliant mess, but a mess nonetheless so yeah, I'm at three and a half. Yeah, I think I was just a little less impressed with the overall ensemble than you. I don't think mm-hmm. it was well acted across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was just a little bit too much clunkiness for me, and just way too much of the doubling and tripling down on the overall, like hitting you over the head with the extreme seriousness and brooding and and just violence and. It doesn't, it holds you in that grip for two hours, 18 minutes and doesn't let up. And it's just like, I wasn't involved enough with the characters to really go all in on it. Does it make you a little more curious as to where Tom Holland's career is going to be headed? I have been very fascinated by him from day one because yeah. I actually think Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming is one of the best Marvel films, period. Mm-hmm. And partly because of him. And I think he was perfectly cast for that. And I would love to see him branch out more. And this is a step in the right direction. I'd say. It is for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because he's, he's got something. I think he does. I think I th- he does. he's got something. Let's see what it is. Yeah. Well, it's time for our second new movie of the week. I set this one out. So I will have five good questions for Noah regarding Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz's new film, Antebellum. Antebellum. Uh, we talked mo- for a moment over uh, off mic uh, as to whether or not we were going to get into spoilers. I'm going to try not to, but depending on uh, where this conversation goes, I might. And I will warn everyone if I'm about to go down that avenue. It sounds to me like it's going to be hard to talk about this movie without. It's going to be hard for me to fully explain how I feel about the film without it, but I'm going to try first. I'm okay. going to give it a, a, a valiant effort. All right. Well, regardless, we will give you all a warning if we go into spoilers. Absolutely. All right. So I guess the first question I have is, 
does the film have have a clear horror genre vibe to it or is it more what what would you categorize the film as because the the trailer suggests a variety of different things psychological thriller and all sorts of different things um it's definitely uh, what we've known to come from to lately of psychological horror it definitely just barely makes the cut for that it is it's it's really more of a thriller than anything else but there are some really horrific scenes so I will say it just barely passes that test. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is essentially the first big, big starring role for Janelle Monet in film. I mean, she was the star of Homecoming, the latest season of Homecoming. Yeah. But as far as in film, she's been in f- several films, but never really the main yeah, this star. Yeah, is, this is her first leading role. Yeah. How does she handle it? And does she, is she able to carry this movie? You know, and well, I would say. I mean, how how does she handle it? Very, very well. She, I've become accustomed lately to Janelle Monet being the best thing about whatever thing she's in. Um, she's terrific, and this is no exception. She is, she's very, very good in this. Um, uh, and she's, it's a difficult task, and. She is up for it. And I really, really hope that casting directors everywhere take notice and start to give her more opportunities to show what she's really all about. Um, I've mentioned before that like, I feel the same way about her that I do Lady Gaga in that their music, um, while I can, I can acknowledge that they are both very talented musicians. um, It's just not, their music just isn't something I'm a fan of. Um, but I really, really like them as people and I root for them really, really hard. And, um, this is just yet another reason why, because she's, she's very good in this. Okay. So I guess maybe, maybe you should give us a short rundown of the setup of this film, you know, because no one really knows exactly what it's about. Even if you see the trailer, you kind of have an idea, I guess. No, you don't. (laughs) And that is one big problem that I have is that the trailers, the marketing for this film is very misleading, even, and it's not just the way that the trailer is cut, even the synopsis that the studio gives you is that this is, is about mind bending. uh, It's a mind bender and, and our character has to distinguish reality and what's going on psychologically. That's horse shit and is not true. Mm. And it's directly misleading its audience in a, in a deceitful way. And there's one thing about like a misdirect. Um, those can be really fun, but there's another to completely and intentionally deceive your audience. Um, and that is extremely frustrating when a studio and its marketing team does it and even the directors do it because it's not just the trailer the film itself does this it mm. tells you and shows you one thing then tells you and shows you an entirely different thing and then in the third act says just kidding and um it is it is so aggravating 
Now I'm really curious. We might have to get into spoilers at some point when we talk about this. <laughs> but first, first though, let me ask you, how is the overall style of these two directors? Is there a Peel vibe at all? Because Peel's name was so attached to this when it was coming out because he was the producer. Everything said that from the producers of Get Out and Us. And it wants you to believe that it is a Jordan Peele kind of project. Yeah, I can definitely see there's there is that kind of look and feel and vibe to it where um, there's that ever ever surmounting sense of dread, and um, it's it's um, yeah, it, it looks really good. Um, much of it is really really well photographed. It's it's the occasionally fantastic looking um same with the score sometimes the score is absolutely terrific um and some of the performances are absolutely terrific even outside of of uh of janelle Monet. um so yeah it's it's in that regard it's set up pretty well for that you can you can see why they attached his name to it and that's not misleading at all but at times you can also see why he would have said you know, I'll fund it, but I'm not trying to direct it or anything. Yeah, so that leads me to my next question, which which might lead to having to get into spoilers, is that I've read and heard lots of people say that this kind of story only has the weight for a really good short film and maybe not necessarily an hour and 45-minute feature-length film. <laughs> what, what? Why do you think that so many people are saying that? I will say that... Um... It could be a one-hour episode of something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, all right. I'm going to, we're going to get into spoilers, but not like super deep spoilers, but spoilery enough that if you really don't want to know, fast forward a little bit, go ahead and stop and fast forward four minutes or something. I don't know. Well, it depends on how long it takes to unravel yeah. this, but here we go. This film is three very distinct acts. The mm -hmm. first act is 38 minutes long and it all takes place in in the south so to speak during slavery um and we see slaves being horribly mistreated um in, in beautifully photographed scenes <laughs> um uh jack houston plays the the main villain in this jenna malone as well right or not yet no okay not yet Oh, okay. um, and I like Jack Houston a lot, um, through Boardwalk Empire and some other things I've cool. seen. And I did a deep dive and found out that he's, um, both Danny Houston and Angelica Houston's nephew. Oh, I did not know that. Did not know that either. Um, and he's diabolical and very good in this. Um, and so we, we, we see the, most of it through the, 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 the eyes of, of Janelle Monáe's character. Um, and then at about the 38-minute mark, she's going to sleep, and a cell phone starts going off. And she opens her eyes, and it's morning, present day. Mm -hmm. And she's lying in bed with her husband, getting ready for her, her big day. You know, she's, she's a prominent, wealthy, uh, um, PhD-decorated uh, 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 scholar who's on television, and uh, her main area of expertise is race relations, um, and and she's beloved. Um, and so the next, you know, forty minutes or so are, and, and she mentions to her husband 
that she had a very disturbing dream, referencing what just happened. So the, the filmmakers intentionally tell you and show you things in a way that says, this is linear. This happened first, then this happened. And she's got to figure out why. But that isn't the case. And it's not only is it misleading, it is directly deceitful and dishonest to its audience. Mm. And it drives me absolutely up the wall because we find out that it is not linear and it wasn't a dream, even though she directly references it and leads the entire audience to believe yeah, that it is. Right. And so spoiler alert, the second act is actually in the past. The first act is what follows right after that, mm-hmm. where she, again, big, big spoiler alert, she was abducted. And this is basically the village meets the handmaid's tale in that what we saw is not actually in the past. It is in present day and they've kidnapped all these people and made them slaves basically in present day. Um, and Jenna Malone and, and Jack Houston have abducted her. I see. And then the third act of the film is her trying to get somebody's cell phone and escape. That's what the third act of the film is. <laughs> okay. And it is, when you're watching it, you're saying to yourself, this movie has a lot going for it, but I am not only frustrated, but angry with the filmmakers for making some of these decisions. I'm angry with the studio for the marketing that leads you to believe that this is a, a psychological thriller and that something's going on in her mind. Um, you know, the trailer shows people looking up in the sky and an airplane going across the sky and then it glitches and the airplane disappears and then reappears again. That doesn't happen what? in the film. They, that scene, they're actually just watching an airplane go through the sky. This, yeah, that's extraordinarily deceiving. There is nothing going on in her head. She knows full well that she was abducted and this is her, her, her lot in life. Yeah. But, but the audience is led, not only led to believe, but directly told that that isn't the case. And then in the third act is told, just kidding, it is the case. That sounds like something that would drive me insane as well. And so despite the fact that it has a couple of really great performances, a couple of really bad ones, Jenna Malone mm. is atrocious in this. Really? Uh, uh, um, Gabby Sidibe is great in it. She's she's really you could great. use more of her. She plays she plays Jamelle Monet's best friend mm-hmm. in the in the present present day stuff. Um, the present present day. Okay. Yeah, it, it, some of the scenes are really really well made, moving. Um, there there are scenes of violence that are really disturbing, um, and clearly the message here is not only important but poignant. Sure. There is so much to appreciate about this film. It's just, it is an absolute utter mess from a, from an editing standpoint, even a little bit from a writing standpoint and my God, from a marketing standpoint, that sounds like it. I wanted to like this thing. And like I said, there's a lot to like, and it, it ends really, really strongly. 
but there are so many head scratching things that just make you make you wonder like why did you think that was going to work Mm -hmm. or why did you decide to do this at all to the point where i ended up giving it three stars at the very very most and i cannot go any higher than that these guys definitely are competent directors and they know what they're doing they should not have made some of the choices that they made and i fear that for the rest of this year this film is going to be a a punchline instead of a a a beacon yeah, it sounds like it was very much set up to be one of the very most important storylines of the year. Janelle Monet deserves better than this. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole deserves better than this because th- this is going to be, you know, one of the big, like, quote-unquote, black films of mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that's fair because this has got a lot of problems that that it that it doesn't deserve yeah and that's kind of the consensus that's going around entirely i've noticed i'm telling you i was absolutely infuriated <laughs> that's unfortunate that's unfortunate yeah especially since i paid 20 dollars to see it oh God, yes i forgot <laughs> i forgot that it's 20 dollars yeah. right now <sighs> i thought it was an amazon prime thing but no you have to spend 20 dollars. so do you have any more questions no, that is it. We can be done with Antebellum for now. Other than did um, Lady Antebellum or Lady A did do any of the music for the film? I, I wouldn't know if they showed up on screen wearing their band t-shirts. I, I have no idea. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, it's time for the throwback challenge. We're skipping the pick six this week. We're going straight into a double barreled old school format throwback challenge. Stick around and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Welcome back to the show. We threw it back in the truest sense of the term this week. As Andy and I revived the original format of the Throwback Challenge, we each gave one another a great film that the other had yet to cross off their watch list. Andy challenged me with Carrie Fukunaga's Sin Nombre from 2009, and I did the same with Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory from just last year. And that is where we'll begin with you, Andy, and uh, Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory. I put this on my... um, did I have? The, I think I had this on my ten, be, 10 best of the year. Yeah, it was either ten or nine. I yeah, think it was maybe nine, something like that. No, I think I had. We both had Little Women at nine, but this was somewhere on there for you. Yeah, I think so. And, and I and I re, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I had it on my the ten best foreign language foreign language films of the decade. That's what it was. That's it. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I was surprised that you had still never seen it, and mm. really excited to discuss it with you. 
Yeah, I don't know why it took me. The, it's not, I mean, it just came out a year ago, but it's taken me this long to see it because we try to keep up with everything that comes out as it comes out. But Well, especially everything that's Oscar nominated. And then Banderas was nominated for Best Actor, which is a big prestige award. Well, um, but you can't catch them all. That, but also I'm a huge fan of Pedro Almodovar. I just, I've yeah, always been. Much bigger than I am because I've not seen very much. Now I think you are, though. Now you're interested, like even more so, I would imagine. I, I definitely see even more what all the buzz has been about for decades now. Yeah, and this is probably the, if I'm trying to think, I've seen a handful of his films, at least five before this. Um, and I've been a big fan to a, a fan to a big fan of everything. Never disliked anything he's ever made. I know exactly what list this was on. I put it on my drug-themed films list. Oh, yeah. That's what I have. And it is a drug-themed film. Very much so. Do you want to hit, hit everyone with a premise in case they missed that episode and, sure. have, and have no idea what this film's about? Yeah, Antonio Banderas, who is a longtime Elmodovar collaborator, plays essentially kind of an Elmodovar character. He is a longtime director, well-renowned, and he's kind of stuck. He's getting toward the latter half of his career, latter half of his life in general. And he is not really working anymore. He's kind of just in a standstill state. And he's kind of focusing a lot on his internal health. As you see in some literal almost diagrams in this film, he outlines just the overall skeletal aspect of his body and the overall condition of his body. It's really interesting the way it's done. Yeah. Those are some of my favorite scenes in the film. Like that, that strange, like seventies classroom, mm -hmm. uh, educational yeah. uh, uh, animation. Um, but, but like done in this like pseudo psychedelic kind of way that, that that's all motive. Art it's for you. beautiful. It's like really oh. beautiful and colorful and it's fascinating. I've said this before and it's no, it should, come as no surprise to anyone who's seen his films that his work is almost like watching a painter paint like his next piece you know mm -hmm. um he, he, the colors are vibrant in his movies the mm -hmm. sets are vibrant the costumes are vibrant everything about it the colors are so pronounced in his film and this is no exception no this looks amazing it looks absolutely incredible what you know, I'm not surprised to find out, though, in this movie is that this is not necessarily about him entirely. It's about the women in his life. Amonavar has always been someone who focuses on the female characters around him and around his main male characters a lot. Sometimes there's not even a main male character in his movies. Um, there's a, there's a hand, there are a handful of female characters in this movie, all given considerable time and care. Um, and this movie is essentially about this guy who may be thinking that he's not going to live much longer. I don't know. He, he maybe there are some issues he has, you know, in his esophagus that may be a tumor. We don't know. And he's just kind of left to worry about mortality. And I think this is all motivar saying that maybe he thinks that himself, maybe this is him writing himself in mm -hmm. a way. And, Throughout all this time where this character has a writer's block, he's got this opportunity to revisit the re-release of one of his first films that's now considered a widely considered masterpiece. Uh, he's 
they give it a new treatment and one of the big kind of theaters is going to re-release it, re-premiere it. And he's meeting with old people from the past. One of the actors from his film 30 years, two years prior, he meets up with again and through that meeting takes on a, a love for heroin <laughs> and a newfound love for heroin. And at some point kind of starts writing his next thing. And this actor who he hadn't spoken to in over 30 years wants to devour the material and Salvador doesn't want to be credited with it. He wants to be anonymous. And this actor fully takes that into his ownership. He said, I'll, I'll put my name on it. Sure. (laughs) And, um, also throughout this entire film, we get to kind of see how he grew up and his entire life leading up to this point and where he became the person he is and through the women in his life, um, how that happened. And I think that he balances all of this really well. Omotovar, I think the writing is excellent. Uh, Banderas has probably never been better. I mean, he's in, entrancing yeah i don't i've not seen a ton of banderas performances but i've seen enough to confidently say this is far and away the best performance that i've ever seen him give Mm -hmm. um i agree i agree it it would have been criminal if he hadn't gotten nominated last year he's excellent in this film um and then uh another long time on a a mode of our kind of muse is penelope cruz and she is excellent in this film playing his mother in some of the scenes um, from his childhood. Uh, there are some great, great moments you get, you get with Salvador as a young child and kind of the prodigy he essentially was. And then his relationship with someone he was kind of uh, tutoring, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, a much older teenager who he was tutoring to learn how to even write and read. Yeah. Um, and what he gets out of that relationship ultimately is very interesting. Um, this, this is an excellent movie. The score is brilliant. Um, there are times when it is funny, but it is, although there's very serious subject matter, um, it's always vibrant enough to not get too depressing. He handles the kind of hardcore addiction parts of the film in such a light and Almodovar way that I was engaged with this thing from beginning to end. And I think where it ultimately lands, the ending is just, the ending is beautiful. I think the very last two minutes of this film, yeah, it just, it just finds all the right ways to end. Yeah. The, the last 15 minutes, like, mm-hmm. like, him and he he goes and visits an ex-boyfriend of his. Oh, great scene. That scene with him in his ex-boyfriend's apartment. Mm-hmm. Man, just the, the body language alone, but like the way that those two actors play off of each other. And then the 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 scene in the theater. Oh, beautiful. The performance. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the performance of his new work. Staggering. Great. And then there's the scene where he buys the painting and reads the back of the painting. That's mm. just gorgeous. And then ultimately the scenes with his mother, you know, 
later in her life. Do you think if if Parasite hadn't been such a phenomenon that this would have won Best Foreign Language Picture? Probably. Yeah. I would think so, because it's most deserving after Parasite. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really love this film. I'm at a four and a half on it. That's exactly where I am on it, too. It's a staggering work of genius. It's excellent. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's one of those late entry works of a really master. He's a singular artist, too. He's, he's an auteur, in a way, because his films, you know, they're his film when they start within two minutes. You can, you know, if you've seen any of his films before, you know it's an emotive art film. And I'll be honest, I mean, it's 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 really nitpicky, but it's almost five stars. Like perfect. I agree. I mean, it's really close. Mm-hmm. Like this thing is profoundly good. It's excellent. It's moving. Yes. Yeah. Um. So on the other flip side of that coin, this was the first time, not only that that uh, uh, we had both given each other foreign language titles for throwbacks, but both Spanish language titles for throwbacks. And you gave me um, Carrie Fukunaga's uh, debut feature, Sin Nobre, um, with a cast full of people I've never heard of and, frankly, most people have never heard of. Um, it's a really interesting tale. It's, it, it's about um, this young-ish gang member in in like the he, what's the uh, MS13 he's a gang member in Honduras i believe mm-hmm. and he's he's <laughs> gets a, a a young kid jumped into the gang and he is he's very much very deeply into this gang and they go to rob some people on a train that are trying to um sneak into the united states and given a crisis of conscience, he kills the leader of his gang because he was about to do something really bad to some innocent people. And that puts him on the run. So he has to just stay on this train with these people and go ahead and try to escape to the United States or wherever, however far he can get. Meanwhile, that gang um, is going to hunt him down. And that's essentially the not only the jumping off point, but this that's where the the film goes. Um, and you really get a sense for how, how well not only Fukunaga can, um, can shoot landscapes, he, his command over the camera is in terms of lighting and color, but later on in the film, you really get an idea of like how good he would be at shooting action. Um, whether that was some of the, the semi-brief moments of action in season one of True Detective, all the way to now being the director of the newest Bond film. Um, while this isn't as polished as some of those others, you definitely get a very good glimpse of like, this is a guy that is very talented and was going to, no matter what, uh, go on to do some pretty, pretty big things. It's a it's it's definitely a smaller scale film at the same time kind of being a road film. Um but like there is tremendous amounts of talent on display with this film. Yeah, I mean he he clearly had a very a much smaller budget, so he had he had to make it compact. The story I think is exactly what it needed to be for such an early filmmaker, young filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He has a very small group of actors in a 
very kind of just direct short story kind of vibe to it and yeah i think i think he handles himself really well here i've seen this a couple of times since it came out and most recently like a year ago so it's still pretty fresh in my mind and i remember kind of i think the non-polished aspect of it helps in the kind of tension and the violence of the movie. the movie the movie can be jarringly violent at times and there is real danger like you don't know some of these people are unhinged in a way that you don't know what's going to happen to these characters like no one's safe in this movie so there's that constant sense of dread you have where you're like even some of these main characters the family you know you don't know you you don't know they, they could be just slaughtered in this movie at a moment's yeah. notice and it's kind of scary, to be honest. There are times in this movie where you're legitimately scared for the people in this film. Yeah, and this is the kind of the kind of thing that could come off really inauthentic. Some of it could you could sure. really see the seams, um, but that's never the case. Oddly enough, with this, like it, it, part of it's because all of the performances are are really authentic feeling performances. Even the kid, there's a young kid that's mm. in this. Even he doesn't. It's a doesn't, tough role. Yeah, it's a very tough role. And the kid pulls it off really, really well. I mean, like, you don't ever, you never really get a sense of any inauthentic uh, uh, um, performances yeah. or, or even the action, the way that it's shot. Like, there are a couple of shootouts that still feel really genuine in this. Yeah. Um, and that was surprising considering the budget and, and the fact that it's a first-time filmmaker that, you know, hadn't really done anything like this. Fukunaga spent two years researching the film. It says spending time with people on the trains and with gangsters in Central America. He also used two gang members to script edit making the slang and language as up to date as as realistic as possible. Wow. That's interesting for such a young filmmaker to want to get that aspect right. Yeah. And it does, like you said, it it shows. It doesn't feel inauthentic at all. No, and and it's not like it pulls its punches you know like the 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 violence is few and far between they don't ram it down your throat and like the stakes never feel like too low you know like no like you said like anybody could could die at any point in this film and yeah. eventually uh you know some of some things do come to a head and it's got a really poignant ending yes a very violent ending um I just, I was sufficiently impressed with this thing from beginning to end on pretty much every aspect. You know, the the writing is, it, it hums right along. That's only an hour and 36 minutes. Yeah. So, so that helps. That It needs to be that kind of length, I think, too. But uh, the performances and, and the way that it's photographed, the, the, the music, I mean, the whole thing is, it's... It's a very, very solid debut. It's a very notable debut. I, I wasn't blown away by any stretch, but I mean, I can't find much like to really pick on. This is a, f- this is a dead to rights four star film. Like, I think so. You, I couldn't give it anything else. Yeah, I think that's a perfect rating for this kind of film. And, and you know, it makes me excited to see some of the other things um, that I've missed from Fukunaga. And some of the other things that he's got yet on the horizon, you know, uh, season one of True Detective uh, still to this day is one of, if not the best se- single season of television I've ever seen. Um, that Netflix limited series Maniac Very is, good. is terrific in like this crazy madcap 
dark, dark comedy kind of way. And um, he looks like the real deal when it comes to Bond as well. So yeah. the first non, the first American director to, to ever direct a Bond film. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do we got? So we've got, I mean, yeah, maybe, I mean, certainly the first, where, where is he from? He's from Oakland, California. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I was fascinating. I was reading he's the first American director of any Bond film. That I never would have guessed. Right? Kind of blows your mind. I guess it's a lot of British filmmakers who've done it. And Okay, fair enough. So here we are. And uh, the first look on that looks like he's capable. (laughs) Yeah, I I just... And he's been behind the camera for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know... Period pieces are really interesting to me, and my girlfriend loves them. So I think one of the next things I'm going to be watching is that the Jane Eyre film. That it's he excellent did, that he did right after this. It's yeah. very good. Who all is in that? Isn't it? Isn't it uh, Fassbender? It's, it's Fassbender, and it's um, I believe it's Mia Wasikowska. So oh, we great. mentioned her earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty interested in that. And that that will not be a tough sell. Anything with with gowns and and or bonnets, my girlfriend will get down on pretty easy and it's a little more up your alley in that genre because his style for it works yeah a little better than most yeah it's not really traditional it's more of a gritty version of that story if you can do gritty and pretty at the same time you are right in my wheelhouse i think this guy can do anything yeah me too that's why i'm I'm excited to see where his career goes to Mm -hmm. but um really fun to go back and see where it all began you know really really good throwbacks there yeah yeah well i mean (laughs) not that i don't love getting throwback challenge requests from people because i do and we got we'll have have, plenty we have plenty stocked up right now so we're going to need to get to them but there's just something about every once in a while going back to the old format and just tossing one each other's Mm -hmm. way that is undeniably fun you know absolutely um so we did end up going longer than I thought we would. Of course we did. We did, we sure did. I think a lot of that's because of the rant that I did on Antebellum. Well, you know, and there's 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 a lot to get to with the devil all the time as well. That's true. That's true. But I was I was incensed. Um, so um, on that note, that is our show for today. So remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send your suggestions for the Throwback Challenge, because we have plenty of them coming up, but keep them coming. And you can send those to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. Now, we will be taking next week off, as I have a big dumb conference at work that will completely consume my life. But the week after, we have actually a great great show lined up for you our lead film will be the newest documentary from camera person director kirsten johnson entitled dick johnson is dead available on netflix and much like camera person that is a deeply personal story that she's telling about her father in the final years if not days of his life yeah i don't know much about it and i'm going to choose not to read about it but i love camera person one of the best documentaries of the last decade it's a throwback that you gave me on this here show true so yes yeah can't wait for that and we will follow that up with a pick six segment where we dive headfirst into some inevitably bloody terrain as we rank our choices for the six best revenge flicks of all time keep your preferred emergency weapons (laughs) handy for that one (laughs) what's your what's your preferred emergency weapon um i think like um almost like a wine opener 
Just, you just like kind of get that right in there and just turn it on their necks if you have to. You know, just something that's like a, a house ready. I, it's nothing entirely threatening, yeah. but it can be if you need it to be. I'm going to go with a, 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 um, aluminum little league, like T-ball bat, you know, that, that like undersized <laughs> yeah. where I can really swing it like a club and it's you can not get a lot heavy. of swings in real fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I do keep a six iron, um, behind my spare bedroom door just in case, just, just, if you case. have to have it. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So also we will have a throwback challenge as well. And this is the first in a long line of commissioner. <laughs> or listener commission throwback challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one has been sitting in the back burner for a while. It is uh, a first time watch, obviously for both of us. It is the one and only directorial debut from Eddie Murphy called Harlem nights in which the actor stars opposite another comic legend, Richard Pryor. It's really just an excuse to talk about retired left-handed, left-handed pitcher CC Sabathia's taste in movies. So the joke was that, uh, is that this was uh, a th- Throwback challenge given to us by former Brewers pitcher CC Sabathia, mm-hmm. but in fact it was it was our friend Rob Patrick of the I Five Cinema Bound podcast. Uh, you all should go check that out as well. Absolutely, he he asked us to uh, to do this um, uh, on behalf of CC Sabathia. So so we're just going to assume it's CC Sabathia sending us sending this. us in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. and it, apparently it's CC Sabathia is on record as saying all time favorite. Is, right? This is his favorite film. I don't know how Rob found that out, but Rob can find so many things. <laughs> yeah, out. exactly. Like for instance, he sent me a message saying, "Is it true that Cardi B's name came from Cardinals baseball?" And I said, "What?" And I got no response. I looked into it. I couldn't find anything out. No, I I, I believe she's been on like a talk show or something that said that it was something to do with Bacardi. <laughs> so, so I was gonna say that'd be a little ridiculous if she's yeah. based her entire name on Cardinals baseball. As much as I adore Rob, I think he's drawing his own conclusions there. He's just trying to get my gears going too. That, that too. <laughs> that too. All right. Well, that is, that's our show for today. That's going to be a lot of fun. Not next week, but the week after when I will be sufficiently, sufficiently exhausted. Yeah. And, um, I'll probably sound just hoarse as hell and, and, uh, and you'll be able to see the wrinkles under my eyes just from, from listening. Beautiful. So, yeah. And Can't wait for that. Great. And yeah. there is a slim chance we could talk about Miranda July's Kajillionaires. Yes, we might squeeze that in right in front of Dick Johnson is Dead if if I can find any time in the next 15 days to... Uh, well, and we don't really know how we're going to be able to see it. Yeah. Is it only going to be in theaters? We don't know at this point. Yeah, either way, I'm going to try to go to the theater or pay t- another $20 to, to watch it because it's guaranteed to be better than Antifella. It's 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 high on my list for most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I, I believe we both said we were going to try and fit in a rewatch of Me, You, and Everyone We Know. That'd be nice. And you haven't seen the I future. I haven't seen the future either. That'll be hard for you to, I mean. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. We will see you mm-hmm. next time mm-hmm. on the Film Harmon.
CC Sabathia. Neck brace. Substitute.